welcome to Assurance in Action, Intertext podcast that discusses key assurance topics and trends. My name is Rafaya Priya, and our episode today features two of our colleagues from our GRS and Assurance team, Robert Trimble, Program Manager, and Jasmine Durkat, uh, Operations Manager. Today, they're here to talk about ROHS Technical Documentation File Services. Thank you so much, Robert and Jasmine, for joining us today. It's a pleasure. Um, can you both share with us your experience in the industry and what do you do with Intertech? Sure, I'll let, I'll let Jasmine go first because she's younger. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. Um, so I've been working with Intertech for almost nine years. Yes, yeah, so almost almost a decade, um, and since have supported companies in complying with various requirements mainly in the EU however also with um, yeah like more more and more legislations popping up worldwide also with global legislations um, specifically you know implementation of RHS for different industries so the first big implementation deadline that I was part of was for the medical devices um, to become RHS compliant in 2014. Over to you, Bob. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, so, uh, Bob Trimble, I'm a uh, little bit outside Philadelphia, kind of in between Philadelphia and New York City, so based in, in North America and primarily working with uh, North American companies that are selling product into the European Union concerning Ross, um, but also now going forward with all the global regulations, whether it's Saudi Arabia, um, as, as the rest of the world, China, Ross, whatever it might be, um, add some additional requirements, our, our EU Ross technical documentation file services um, kind of leverage themselves going forward. So um, I've been with Intertech over 10 years, been working in a compliance domain and quality uh, for over 15 plus years. Um, and having been on sites and worked with customers, you know, sitting down at a table with them and building their technical documentation file, as well as, you know, one of the things we did was review technical documentation, technical documentation files. And, and we have a template that kind of starts this whole process off, off so that customers kind of, um, you know, they have a head start. Right. So that's how I got into the whole TDF thing. And now working with Jasmine, you know, we we have uh, we have boots on the ground, as we say at Intertech, all over the world. So we leverage that. So it's not just some guy in North America going, yeah, we think this works. We have people in Europe that are reviewing the technical documentation file and keeping up with the, the reg, uh, regulations and the authorities and stuff. like that. That's, that's where I'm coming from on this. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your experiences with us. It's great to hear everything you do uh, for Intertech and all your experiences. Thank you so much. Uh, so I guess my first question for you would be, um, I know the technical documentation, uh, it provides information on the design, manufacture, and operation of a product and must contain all the details necessary to demonstrate that the product confirms to the applicable requirements. What information do you frequently see missed? Yeah, so so I'll kind of kick that one off. Um, one of the things that we don't see a lot of companies right from the get-go reference is any type of standards to evaluate the information that's going into their technical documentation. So that the Ross technical documentation that we're speaking of today um, sits under the bigger picture CE technical documentation. And when it comes down to the ROHS part of it, frequently I don't see a standard referenced. And I, I can go on and on about this, but I'll let Jasmine kind of 
kind of jump in here. She might see something different or might kind of agree with me. But that there's there's not a lot of basis on a standard or on a any type of even an internal standard of reference as to what information they need and why they're accepting the information they're getting. Yeah, and, and to add to that, I think especially in, well, recent months, um, you would find a lot of document, well, technical documentations to, if they reference standards, uh, to reference outdated, expired standards, yeah, which mainly comes from um, the replacement of the EN 50581. 50, 501, yeah, 50581, uh, five, 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 <laughs> replaced by IEC 63000. Exactly. I, I agree with you. Exactly. Yes. So it was yeah. on, only, only just replaced um, last year. Yeah. Um, so a, a lot of companies, um, especially since there's not been a huge and massive change in, well, the requirements yeah, of, uh, of the technical documentation. Um, yeah, companies just seem to have missed the change. Yeah, I'll agree. And that, that kind of jumps us ahead to the, one of the other points we were going to talk about, right? And that is one of the requirements to, to maintain this documentation, to review it, to keep it current. So if we're doing an audit or we're reviewing technical documentation and we see old standards referenced, or the last time this document was reviewed and signed was 2016, that's like a red flag. It's it's not a one and done. It needs to be maintained. It needs to be current. So that that's something else that flies under their radar. Um, once this initial work gets completed by our clients. Oh, that's awesome. Like it, the, the podcast is, is already getting really interesting. So um, my second question would be, um, how does the technical documentation affect the affixing of CE marking to the product? When you CE mark the product, you, you are saying that you legally comply with all the directives that fall under the CE mark. So when it comes down to ROHS, when you see you mark your product and place it on the market, you are legally stating that you have all this tech, tech documentation in place to back up that you comply with the directive. So now that you talked about the CE mark, um, can you talk a little bit about the risk assessment requirement? Sure. You want to you want to lead off on that one, Jasmine, or you want me to? Uh... There's three, so I don't, I don't want to monopolize. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to. Uh, yeah, so like the, the risk assessment requirement, which is um, stated as, as a requirement under the IEC 63000 and formerly the EN 5581, um, basically consists out of two different risk assessments. So one focusing on the actual direct suppliers that supply components, materials, subcomponents um, to be used in, in the production of the final product. Um, and then secondly, the assessment of the actual materials, right? And then we always have to remember that the RHS directive requires compliance on the homogeneous level. Um, so even if um, your your suppliers supply you know, or if you source subcomponents, yeah, you know, which are complex products just by itself, you will always have to well determine the risk of uh, the homogeneous materials present and used in in that finished product. Yeah, um, Bob, I think now that I've sort of outlined yeah, that's, that's <laughs> um, the basic basic requirements, if you just want to go into a little bit more detail. Yeah, so we talked about this risk based process, which is uh, laid out by IEC sixty three thousand, um, which kind of takes us into the land of I can't, don't want to, or it's not realistic to test at the homogeneous material level for everything that might be in this product. 
right? So we, we take a risk-based approach for the material where we say historically, or because I know what's in plastics, what's in integrated circuits, what, uh, what, what we use to plate metals, how, how we assemble wiring harness with, harnesses with solder and crimp connectors and things like that. As I look at all the different parts of product realization, where are the risks that these restricted substances are in my product? And then I address those risks according to a matrix, whether that's I'm just going to require documentation or I'm going to require documentation and a test report. Um, whatever your internal and external standards and processes require, as well as some supplier risks so not just monetarily they're on the dnb or i have a relationship with this company because they're right down the block and i've worked with them for 20 years but but things that are typically missed like did i evaluate this supplier for their capability to supply me um, materials components um, processes that comply with the directive right as well as why do I trust them? Do I audit them? Have I had questions on my supplier surveys that address restricted substances? If I go to their website, are they are they ISO certified? Like we always like to see the ISO certified, right? Right, Jasmine. Like that's a kind of a big deal when it comes to meeting all the requirements for uh, this directive. Awesome. Yeah, exa exactly. Um, so. Yeah, um, I, I just want to mention, like, especially talking about that risk-based approach, um, this is also what, what you see in, like, QMS systems, right? So the ISO 9001, um, since the last revision, would also, like, focus very much on the risk-based approach, um, with, which now fits very well also with the IEC 63000 approach yep. to, to determine compliance. Plays, plays very well with IEC 63000. I agree exactly. with you. Well, um so, has there been any major changes uh, to the TDF requirements that you haven't mentioned yet? Other than other than the update to IEC sixty three thousand, there have been no major changes in what we see technical documentation file wise for Ross. Okay, and um, how does uh, the additional legislation such as so the ROHS? And UAE uh, ROHS affect the TDF. Yeah, so the um, the EU ROS TDF, which is based on that IE six IEC sixty three thousand standard, um, gets you a long way towards being able to support and and apply for um, entry into other markets other than just the European Union, and that includes KSA UAE ROS. Um, there there are some additional requirements. Um, for global market access concerning restricted substances, but there'd be very few instances where not having that information um, would benefit you. Yeah, I think the, the biggest, uh, well, the biggest difference to mention here really is that in the European Union, the requirement to have a technical documentation file really like refers to having one on file uh, in case an authority asks for it. Um, whereas, especially in the UAE, in order to get market access, a notified body actually has to attest the compliance of your technical documentation. Yeah, so they will physically review the technical documentation. Um, and in some cases, like depending on which compliance route um, companies choose, they would even audit 
um, your factories according to the IEC 63000 standard, which obviously includes the doc documentation, um, but even more so focuses on whether what's written in your de technical documentation is also well lived on a daily basis in your in your production. Well, uh, can you share some of the most common weaknesses you see in your clients' technical documentation? Sure, I'll, I'll lead off on that. Um, two things kind of come to mind. One, they don't always have the written processes to reproduce the technical documentation file. So some, somebody takes the ball on it and they reach out and they get all the documentation and they evaluate all the documentation and, and they build the technical file and they, they hand it off to whoever maintaining the, the CE technical documentation and says, okay, we're good to go on this product. But the, the process basically can't be replicated because it's not written, it's not an SOP. So the, the process is missing when we dig down. And, and the other thing that happened, I think I mentioned this earlier, is, is they don't maintain the documentation. So as their approved vendor list or as their supplier list changes and we update components on the, on the circuit board or whatever the product might be, we make changes, um, it doesn't get doesn't get updated and placed in the current technical de documentation file, so it falls out of date. I would say that those would be the two biggest things that I say. So uh, what would be your number one advice to the companies who are facing the challenge of documenting their material compliance procedures? Don't wait. Get, get started on it. Um, and I say that in the context of some people think when they get their test reports back or when they get all the documentation back from their suppliers um, that they're done and they, they kind of organize those those um, those work streams so that they overlap, but they don't leave time before they plan to place the product on the market to resolve any issues, to, to re replace a component that may be non-compliant, to, to go out and audit a supplier where there may be a gap on, hey, I didn't get anything back from this guy. Do I still want to place this on the market? This is kind of a big deal. So I would say, you know, get started early. And you know, if you need help, like reach out to somebody because there's not a lot of this. Um, like if you Google Ross technical documentation files, you, you really don't find much, right, Jasmine? There's, um, I'm not going to say they're hidden, but it's not typically publicly available information. Companies spend a lot of time and effort. There's frequently um, intellectual property in the file, so they're not always easy to just find the template. And I, and I think that that's one of the things that, like, we have this template that we help people out with. Like, it's just a great starting point. So I would say, like, don't wait. Yeah, and 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 probably as important, uh, stay up to date. Yeah, because yeah. um, especially with with RHS, um, there are a lot of changes like frequently happening, and so like um, in in the last what was it like twenty four four months, um, the exemptions from Annex three had been reviewed. Yeah, which will then also require companies to like go back to their processes to evaluate everything like completely from scratch, really on. Uh, on their risk of not meeting the requirements um, set out in, in the legislation. Um, there will be new changes coming, new substances pretty soon. So, yeah, I think yeah, get started to stay have, up to date. I think we have date. two substances on the list that are uh, being evaluated now, right, Jasmine? So we can, we can talk about that at another time, for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's always something to talk about yeah. when it comes to RHS or material yeah. compliance generally. It's not going away. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, hopefully we'll have another episode only for this one, like a second um, episode for this one. I would love to have you guys again. Um, so if, if our listeners have a question and want to reach out to you directly, is there a contact information you would like to share for the team or uh, how will they contact you? Yeah, so here, so for sure, we we have a lot of presence on the internet. So if you just, you know, whatever your search engine is, put up Intertech, a sheriff's in there, and restricted substances, raw technical documentation files. Um, that that'll take you right to your local, regional, global group that can help with that. Awesome. So we're almost at the end of our podcast. Is there anything else we missed that you you would like to add before we uh, finish our podcast today? No, uh, we look forward to engaging with the customers one on one. So, you know, I know this is this is kind of general and, and meant to just kind of be an overview and, and, you know, have fun, have a discussion about it. But everybody has a different way of making products. Everybody has a different supply base, supply chain. So, you know, it, we really like getting involved one on one with our customers, helping them um, in, in the capacity of here's how they do business so we can help with that. It's not a it's not a one solution, one template, one checklist fits all. Great. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Robert and Jasmine, for joining with us today. These were some really great insights on Intertext ROHS Technical Documentation Services. I hope uh, I hope our listeners will love our podcast. And thank you to all our listeners for listening all the way through. Uh, please follow us and like us on Twitter and LinkedIn, links to which are in the description of this podcast. With any questions, f- please feel free to reach out to us at at business.assurance at intertech.com. This is your host, Rafaya, and I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you all, and thank you so much, Jasmine and Robert. Mm-hmm.